What's going on, guys? AJ here back again with another episode of the E1B2 podcast. But this particular episode is a little bit special today. We have another guest, Evan Knox. He is the uh, great entrepreneur, a great executive, a great brander, marketer, genius within the world of small businesses and startups. He talks about a lot of things today. We actually have a very casual, laid back, 7.30 p.m. cocktail in the middle of Manhattan type conversation. I know that's a little weird. I just created that kind of scenario in my head. Um, but this is a great conversation, guys. We talk about a lot of things, branding, marketing. Uh, we get into buying businesses. We get deep into a practical case study um, scenario around employee experience that I'm hoping really helped Evan. We talk about buying businesses. We talk about a lot of stuff on this particular episode. I know for a fact, any founder, leader, executive, anyone looking to get into the branding marketing space within the startup world, or if you're a startup looking to double down on your branding and marketing. I think Evan is a perfect person to give a call. Um, I love this episode. Thank you, Evan. Thank you to everyone that listens to this podcast. I'm going to shut up now. Enjoy. Uh, I leave all this, all this that I'm saying right now to the world. Everyone hears me. Yes, uh, we are live. We are here. Um, I keep it real laid back. Very little editing that I do. Um, So I appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited to hang out. It's going to be awesome. Exactly. Uh, so let's start this way. Uh, I, pinged, I pinged you, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half ago. Um, you seem to be doing some interesting things in the start, startup space, the small business space, the marketing space. Um, you seem to kind of be like a, an entrepreneur, a brander, a marketer. Uh, I don't want to put any labels on you personally, so please uh, <laughs> give... Uh, Pick my own labels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, please give us a, a brief background. I kind of like to keep the majority of this real uh, meaty content, but I think it's important to have everyone know who they're listening to. So please give us a brief background. And uh, one thing that is super interesting that you haven't even told a family member or your partner about that's been top of mind lately. Oh my gosh. Okay. That last one. I hope I can come up with something about that. Before yeah. I, know I got something for you if, if you need some help. Okay. All right, so, um, hey everybody, my name's Evan. I run an agency called Caffeine Marketing, and I'm also a small business investor with a group called Tactos. Um, at Caffeine Marketing, we make marketing profitable for small companies that are doing less than $25 million a year in annual revenue. That might look like websites, advertising, um, social, really anything that's gonna deliver a great return investment for our clients. And then with Tactos, um, my, myself and my partners, acquire um, and grow businesses through partnership. So sometimes we'll buy a business, but most of the times we'll actually come in as partners and grow and scale the business. Um, and then sometimes we actually turn around and sell them. So it's kind of like fixer upper, but for, uh, you know, companies, <laughs> it's kind of fun. So that's me. You there, Kevin? Yeah, I'm here. I have no idea how a phone, how a call got through. Uh, I have my phone on do not disturb. Uh, I'm going to edit this part out again, guys. I apologize. Let me just check my phone one more time. Cause I have this. How did that happen? Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Um, did you did you did you did you see anything happen on your end? 
Nada. No worries. Okay. Uh, apologize to you guys. Uh, let's just keep going. So um, you have the agency. You uh, buy brands, partner with brands, uh, do a lot of great work with those brands. Sometimes you, you flip those brands, but um, you, uh, you, you're doing some great things there. Anything else interesting about your professional background? Uh, I originally got into marketing because my granddad was teaching me when I was younger. So I was like a, a teen. I was just going to work with him on the weekends. And I remember him teaching me about why he was placing an ad in the Atlanta Symphony. He owned a jewelry store. There's a picture of you know some fancy emerald ring. And he was telling me about how the copy he was putting on there and what mistakes most people make. And so I really remember that moment being a threshold moment that I thought was really interesting. Like I like this idea of being able to particularly scale and grow a company. And I thought that was fascinating. So that's originally how I got into marketing with my granddad. Um, and then when I was a little bit older, um, let's say four years ago and change, my dad had recently passed away who had also owned his own small business. And my grandfather was about to retire. And I thought, you know what? I've got this marketing skill set now. I was working at a nonprofit doing marketing. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and help other business owners do this um, since I can't help my family do it anymore. And that's when I started Caffeine Marketing. And that's why we pretty much only work with smaller brands. Very interesting. Are you influenced at all by the, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk VaynerMedia's of the world? You know, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. So Give really the on no. the beginning. Give me the no first. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't actively like go out and pay attention to like stuff that he's putting out. I kind of, I think once you kind of get him and what he's about, you've kind of got it. You know, you get like the hustle, the grind, don't make excuses, um, work hard, work-life balance, not necessarily work-life balance, but like just being, you know, having this internal look of control, not complaining, being a good, good person. So all that stuff, I feel like once you've kind of got him, you got the message. Um, One, so so he, he has these, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, I've been a fan for a number of years, so I always am interested when people say that in a good way. He actually yeah. has some... Um, on YouTube, he actually has like some behind the scenes, like really long pieces of content where you actually start to see him more of who he actually is, which is like an operator and like talking about ah. like strategic decisions he's making with the agency and like hiring decisions and ways that he's thinking about strategizing work on the behalf of a client. And uh, like he shows another side. A lot of people don't know that about his content. Um, maybe I'll send something over for you. I just found it. You know, for a brief moment in my life, I thought about um, being involved in the agency world. Um, and uh, I think it's fascinating. And then he also has something identical to what you're doing called the Sasha Group that only focuses on uh, marketing for businesses 50 million or less. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe look in there. I've always found it interesting. He, he, he definitely operates and runs businesses from a very interesting lens. There, there's some gems in there if you find it. Yeah, I, I know you're right. Um, and even in the beginning, so, golly, like when I was mentioning four years ago or so, I was listening to Gary and I'm thinking, you know what? I can't, I'm not going to go and buy a sports team one day. That's not on my, my wish list or my goal list. Yeah. And I probably am not going to run a multi, not multi-million, but like, you know, very, very large international agency. That's probably not something that I think I have the capacity to do. I was like, but I for sure could do a smaller version of that. I was like, I for sure could get my hunk of the pie. Um, 
And so that was like another thing. I was like, cool, I'm going to kind of, I initially structured when I first started caffeine, similar to what I was understanding he was doing. Um, and then later on made pivots, but I, yeah, man, I think he's great. I'm definitely influenced by him for sure. So with your structure right now, I know people structured a lot of different ways. You know, one thing I've, I've always been fascinated with his structure. I'm the same way. The reason why I built out the collective model. So mm-hmm. um, I think I told you this, like within four months, I've built out a team of almost 20 people now. And I just want to continue that. I like big teams. I like, I like low margins. I like not making a ton of money. Um, I know that's, I just, I just like the idea of making other people's dreams a reality. And I just like, um, I suffer from severe ADD. So collaboration. Yeah. So collaboration and having like a lot of people that are like very good at a very micro thing is very much needed for me. So uh, I say all that to say, you know, with his model, they're doing like 400 million in revenue with like over a thousand employees. It's very hefty and employees. So the margins are probably dismal. Um, But I've seen other people that have agencies. So this is the question I'm really asking. Uh, How are you designing it? I've seen people have agencies where there's maybe two or three people at the top that are the strategists and then you outsource everything else. Have you brought in an internal team? How are you doing it? Okay, so I initially started hiring, right? And I started getting people and I'm thinking, all right, we're having meetings every week. Um, And then I kind of had this moment where I just realized that I was, I didn't pause and think, okay, what do I want out of my business? Because Mm -hmm. I was so busy growing it and thinking, all right, I really have to be like, I just want to hit a certain number. I want to have a team of a certain size or whatever. And then when I finally kind of realized, what is the thing that's important to me? You know, like, and there's a stage when you're growing the business that you're like, I just need to grow it. Like it needs to be like, oh, I need to make a living. But after I got past that, I was like, okay, now what do I actually want? Um, and then I realized, I was like, you know what? I, I want to have a life. I want this to be a lifestyle business. Okay. Um, and I love, what, I love what you're talking about. Um, and I'm glad that you're doing that. Oh, uh, it sucks. But as you're, <laughs> well, as you were saying, I know you're kidding. <laughs> But as you were saying it, I was like, that's like the opposite. So um, I, I kind of parted ways with that team and then moved to contractors. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I personally, I got in this to help the small business owner or the small business executive. And so I was like, I want to personally manage each account. So what that meant was I needed to scale back operations. Um, I needed to work with less people. I needed to charge a lot. I didn't need to charge a lot more, but I just began charging more and doing like more important work. And um, then I would just have the best of the best at whatever we were doing. So like, if I thought, Hey, the best thing that we're going to be doing is, is advertising or website design or, um, you know, whatever the thing was, I was like, I'm going to contract with somebody who I know is like specialized and super good at that. So I essentially function as the account manager. Um, and then I've, I've got like 10 people that I call on for different projects. Um, and yeah, so that, I just discovered that that was, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to have um, really low overhead and I wanted to have, you know, really good margins and I wanted to work with people that I wanted to work with. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I structured caffeine. Uh, I, lo- I love it. Yeah. The, it's, 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 it's interesting that a lot of people do that. And I, and I actually find that very valuable. And, and you probably know this, like, um, or thought of this or experienced this at a certain point, but um I've built all my companies this way. Like every company that I've ever done, I started with like 
as many people as I could possibly bring into the fold. Um, there's a lot of benefits to that, but there's a lot of negatives too. The negatives is, you know, human beings are flawed. Human beings are mm-hmm. difficult. Human beings have a lot of complexities. And if you're not a natural, empathetic kind of culture, HR, employee experience first type person that can naturally weather those storms and are actually excited. Like I get excited when Naya, uh, for example, who was a former partner, colleague, brother, just love him to death. I get excited when he calls me today saying that uh, for the new company he's working for, he has five direct reports and everyone has crazy different personalities. And like, he's, his head's about to fall off. He's like, I think he just got done throwing up. Like, I'm like, that's beautiful. Call me right now. I'm excited. Mm. Like, I'll fly to your house. You know, where's, where's, you know, what, what type of beer do you want me to bring? Like, I love oh, those I love type that. of moments because um, I don't actually know why. I just, I just like it. Um, uh, mm. So I know that's different, though, but I very much respect what you're saying. Um, I guess the last thing on that, and then let's move on. Uh, as far as the business model, at a very micro level, give us a little bit of insight just in case, not just in case, at some point, I'm hoping somebody will reach out because it's nothing but small businesses, startups, mm-hmm. founders that are listening to this. So um, what are some of the micro things that you do? Is it very much just, uh, you know, are you into like the content branding game where it's not direct like customer acquisition? Is it, is it, is it just ads? Is it just websites? Give us kind of the, the maybe three or four things you think you guys do the best. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I want the marketing to be profitable and I kind of what you're mentioning you have an experience in is that you know that there's kind of two good camps. Now there's like the sleazy, scary people that we don't want people to like buy snake oil from. But in the good camps, there's like a branding agency and then there's like a true direct marketing agency. Yes. Um, And they, a a lot of them can do a little bit of both. You know, like I've got, I've got people who are really good at branding, but a true branding agency is going to walk you through a branding exercise. They're going to get your type, you know, your topography and you're also, um, your looks and feel, color, logo, all that which is important, but we function more as a direct uh, marketing agency. So at the end of the day, I'm concerned about my clients getting a really, really good return on their investment. Yes. Um, and so what that means is they'll initially have that call with me and we'll design a high level growth strategy, even on the first intake call. And then we'll suggest based off of their margins, um, what their current marketing like, is doing, um, we'll design a strategy for them and then we'll execute it for them. So generally that looks like building a marketing funnel. So we might need to tweak their website. We definitely need to tweak their messaging. Um, advertising is a big part of that. Um, most often it doesn't include social media management and SEO just because those take so long to pay for themselves. Oh, you don't um, do that. I. It's not to say that we just don't. But I won't really offer that unless we're doing some other stuff that can pay for it, if that makes sense. Um, Have you guys cut- gotten to the podcast producing game yet? Or is that still too, or is that still too time ex- extensive? I honestly don't. Like, if I look at, like, I, what I personally enjoy, what I feel like we offer uniquely, is that when people come to us and they go, Oh, man, we've talked to these three marketing agencies and they said it's going to be months before we see any sort of return. And we just don't, we're not sure that that makes sense for us. And I get excited because I'm like, well, you're going to see a return on investment the first month. Um, now, is it going to be the 10X? It might take us to get, you know, three or four months in to really dial the campaigns in, but they're going to see a return on investment almost immediately. 
Um, and so that's what gets me excited. And so the podcast thing, I don't know that we would pursue that um, just because I think that that's valuable, but it's a slow branding. Yeah, it's more branding. I hear you. Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so one of my questions here is not on void now, so I'm going to move on. Uh, <laughs> one of the questions I was going to ask is, um, I'll, I'll kind of ask it or allude to it. We can move on right after this because it's not, you, you don't do it, I'm assuming. Um, uh, I ran, so for two and a half years, almost three years, I ran a partnership consult. I ran a partnership consultancy agency, uh, okay. which essentially meant if you were a small business or startup, um, there were a few different types of partnerships I would, I would strategize and then conduct on your behalf. So okay. like direct partners, like let's say, or I'll, I'll actually give you a very practical one. I started with my own business. Um, under, I had a year-round football academy. Under Armour wanted to make a partnership with us because of the amount of talent that we were having ins and outs of, the, of, our, of our camp they felt that it was like uh, an advantage to get eyes and ears and, 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 and clothing and information and marketing potential around those, that, that talent because of the amount of high-level talent that we had. And then yeah. obviously for us, it was a win-win because of the brand recognition. And that allowed us to scale quickly, right? That allowed right. us to leverage that. It was a win for them. Um, and then there's other kind of partnerships and collaborations that are more connectors, right? So I learned yeah. this years ago from Keith Ferrazzi, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, and that's, and I made, I said that to you, like, I kind of, hopefully at some point in life, you may ping me twice, you know, two times in the next 24 months and say, Hey, you know, I, it was really great doing the podcast, really great kind of talking to you a couple of times. I've ran across a, a guy or a company or whatever the case is that really potentially maybe need some work on changes in behaviors at the executive level or changing around the culture, X, Y, and Z. And so I like to find connectors, people that are ancillary to exactly what I'm doing, but they play in a similar spaces enough where if yeah. I build enough of those connectors and those relationships. So long story short, I could go on and on about what that looks like. So that was really the model. I would strategize. I would relationship manage the thing. I would, I would help the kind of the companies onboard that. Um, so I'm assuming you guys are not advising companies to do any sort of like partnership activations or anything from that lens. No, but I think it's incredibly viable. So like we are, we're past the, the memo of understanding and hopefully get legal signed for a company this week. I would tell you if it was signed, I can tell you what company it is. Um, but we are about to, you know, become partners in this, this business. And that's one of the things that I think is really key. So I, I really can't allude to exactly what it is, but it is a physical product that you buy. Um, but I thought to myself, they've got maybe three, three or four SKU items. So it's not a huge product catalog. Um, but man, I was just like, man, if you could just get some ambassadors, like you could get some people who sign off on that this product is really helpful for executives and entrepreneurs, um, this thing could really scale. And they're already, already doing like 2 million or so. Mm. Um, so I think that that's super valuable and important, but no, we don't offer like that was, we even played in, we started to try out the influencer space and we were like, ah, this is not, we're not seeing the greatest return on investment, but I think brand activation and kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. Um, but all that being said, I think that that's different. I think that what you're talking about, I think could be uh, a greater return for their investment in regards to those partnerships and stuff like that. Yeah, it worked out really well. It was a very, it was a very lucrative business model for me at the time. And uh, once again, though, my margins were dismal. I, I, I hired a bunch of 
um, admin support and individuals to help me scale up my PR initiatives. And I just did a bunch of, I had like 35 people with me. So again, so, um, but it was really fun. Um, okay. So let's move on to what you just said. And I didn't forget about that weird question I asked in the beginning. We'll, we'll tack that on to the very end. Um, so maybe start thinking about it. Um, so let's talk about that business model, right? Where you are buying and partnering with business. Um, I'm interested uh, in it for a couple of reasons. Number one, selfishly, I will admit um, it, it, it's interesting to me because um, not knowing too much and hopefully you'll be able to explain what type of businesses mm-hmm. you're really talking about. But if these companies, if these you know type of initiatives have teams, et cetera, et cetera, I think yeah. it's interesting to try to find ways that maybe I can bring value and, 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 and work with those teams and those executives. And because I, I genuinely have, I genuinely believe that marketing is incredibly uh, fruitful and important and definitely can increase the revenue of a company. But I genuinely believe from a longevity consistency perspective, um, you know, organizational design, uh, culture, operational employee experience uh, truly is the foundation of any great brand. Um, Not to say that you can't make a ton of money not focusing on those things at a strategic level. Um, But beyond that, give us the rundown of what type of companies you're looking to buy and invest in or not invest in, buy or partner with. Mm -hmm. or um, And then also give me a little bit more of a micro understanding of what are you going to do when you buy these companies? What are you going to do when you partner with these companies? Like what's, what's the business model here? Yeah, so we, we're currently at nine, I think, nine different businesses. Um, and I can kind of talk about high level, I yeah. guess, most of them. Um, there's a handful of e-commerce stores. So I'd say probably 50% of our portfolio right now is e-commerce stores. Um, we have like a, and some of them just aren't sexy. Um, one of them is a window film company. So like stuff that you would put up on your windows, it's mm-hmm. decorative, you know, whatever, mirror film. Uh, another one is wig company. So like we actually sell wigs. Um, another one is a screen door saver. So you could basically put these two magnets on your screen door and prevent birds or animals from walking through your screen or yourself, I guess, through walking through your screen door. Um, so that's some of our, uh, e-commerce ones. And then we also have like an advertising, we've got a couple of SaaS products. Um, one is a fundraising solution for nonprofits. So it's kind of like GoFundMe, but more of an enterprise solution. Um, and then also, like if somebody's doing a 5K or a, a big uh, gala, or they, they, this is what you use to collect donations and whatnot. So there's that. Another one is an advertising platform company. So we essentially, it's not, it's not Facebook by any means um, or Google. That's actually probably closer to Google minus the search engine. So we sell advertising space on different companies and people can buy um, ads. And then we also own a virtual assistant company. Um, so we have a team, uh, like a really high qualified team that lives in the Philippines. And so they essentially function as a VA. So that's, that's the businesses. Most of them are online businesses. Some of them are service-based, some of them are SaaS-based, some of them are product-based. And we come in and we either three, three scenarios. One is the, the capital investment. We sometimes do that. Um, you know, like provide capital to whatever startup thing. I'd say that that's our least, um, favorite one. Uh, and then the second, like, it's gotta be really good for us to like, want to do that. The next one is to just outright buy a company. So we might buy the company just like with, Hey, here's however many, however much money, we're just going to buy the company. Um, and then another option, you say what that number, what those numbers would look like. 
Yeah. So it depends on the type of company. So generally they're less like we, the, the purchase price was less than 5 million. Um, and it might look like, and generally how that is calculated from a marketplace standpoint is that you take, and it depends on the, the business. So like SaaS companies, you go off the revenue right now. So you do a certain number of times their total revenue for the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. So say it's, 8x their revenue for the last 12 months, which is like a lot of money for a SaaS company. Um, but they're just trading really high right now. But uh, e-commerce company, you might take the um, monthly, the running average monthly profit over the last 12 months. So you just do the average monthly profit for the last 12 months and then multiply that by um, 30 or something like that. Or the last 12 months, total like total profit and do multiply by like three or four. Um, so that would be like a fair market value for one of those companies. And so, yeah. you, and, and I'm assuming the structure of the partnership that you have with this company is you're the marketing engine behind it. Someone else has the cash. Is that the way you've kind of structured it? Sometimes. Um, so there's two other main partners. Um, okay. You can think of me as like the growth arm. So I'm responsible for growing these companies. Yeah. Um, and then you've got uh, a guy named Nick and Nick is responsible for the operations and scaling the companies. Like as far as like keeping up with the demand of business. Um, so sometimes Nick will call me and he's like, dude, I'm stuck at a warehouse. Like I've been stuck at a warehouse since 12 AM, you know, like I'm, we cannot fulfill any more orders. We need to stop marketing. <laughs> so, you know, he's got to keep up with that. And then Ian, uh, Ian serves as like our, uh, I guess, CEO-ish. Um, he does a lot of our deal making. He does like the acquisitions as long as, uh, along with selling. He also manages our board of directors when a company needs a board of directors. Um, he does a lot of interactions if we are partnered with a company He'll actually like meet with the um, other business owners if needed on stuff. Um, he does all of our finances. He does um, our financial engineering. So like how to how to actually structure a company's finances in a way that is um, you're going to make the most money at exit. Mm. So there's the kind of like I mentioned is the just like provide come in as an investor, just a cash investor. Um, then there's also just the acquire the business outright. Um, and then in that scenario, most of the time we bring in another passive investor. Um, so, you know, while we might put a little bit of capital in, generally we're bringing in somebody who's got, you know, X number of dollars that they just want to spend and they don't want to operate the business, but they just want a percentage of equity for buying it. So and now these brands getting a bit over time or are they getting cash? They're getting cashed out. Um, there's two versions of how you could structure this deal. One is you could do just the straight out right. Here's the, here's, here's $2 million, right? Your company's worth $2 million. Here's $2 million. Another option is seller payments. Um, so this is something we've, we've been looking into a little bit more. I think we've, we've got one deal right now that we're currently doing it on, mm-hmm. but it's this idea that we're going to take over the company. And then here's the price that we agreed to. We're going to pay you that over the next 12 months. So say whatever that number is, instead of them just having that one lump sum, they're going to get that paid over the course of 12 months, or they're going to get that amount paid from the company itself. I see. Yep. So they're going to be getting like a, like an, like an employee check. Kind of. Yeah. It, but yes, in a way, uh, I think it's a seller payment would be the technical term, but I'm again, Ian does most of that. 
And then the uh, last one, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so then the last one, which is probably yeah, 70% or so of most of what we do, is because of our experience, um, we'll, we'll come in and our connections and the deal-making process and board of directors and operations, a lot of jazz, we'll come in as a partner um, into the company. So sometimes there's a, a capital event that happens for that to happen. Most of the times there's not. So we'll come in, I'm just going to make up a number. We'll initially have 30% of the company. And then if over the course of a year or two years, we're able to double, triple, whatever metric we set, then we could move up from 30 to 50 or 70% of the company or whatever. Um, so it, it all depends, but we essentially get uh, greater equity as the company grows. Um, and then the existing owners actually benefit from that because of at sale, they're going to make that much more money. So if we're only taking 30% more of the company and we're doubling the size of the company, they're still coming out um, net above at that point. So are these companies, and I'm a, uh, I think I know the answer, but I'll just ask anyway, are these companies, are you guys keeping these companies, are these companies lean and pretty much just one or two people working on them and you guys are keeping in that way? Are any of these companies kind of have teams associated and you're kind of taking on the team and like, how, what does that look like? So I'd say 80% have a really lean team that might be three people or so. Yeah. Our most, our most recent acquisition and our next deal and in, in their deal making process, actually next, next couple ones, um, all have existing teams of maybe 20 people or so 20, maybe more. Um, and so I was just going to call, the- go ahead. No, I was going to say, what's, so what's the plan from that lens? Um, well, as we acquire the company, we kind of get to know, you know, what's the, I mean, this one's so fresh. We signed legal this week. So I was just meeting with the, the marketing team or who makes up the marketing team. Um, we're going to have a board of directors meeting in the beginning of November. So it's going to, myself and another Tactos guy, Nick, are observers uh, on the board and then ian is the one representation of the tactos group on the board um and so we're essentially going to go meet with the existing owners our new form board of directors and then we're going to come up with a game game plan from there on how to grow and scale the company very interesting well mm-hmm. uh i'm sure you could guess what i was going to say next uh in the future i'm sure i'll ping you about this i think um yeah um and it's not just you i'm, I'm actually in talks with you know there, there's there's a lot you know it's actually um what you're doing is actually starting to become not a norm, but I'm hearing a lot more people doing this. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh. From tiny capital. Are you familiar with that? Uh, uh-uh. I'm going to look him up. Uh, tiny capital. Uh, they, they, they have probably like 180 companies in their portfolio. Oh wow. Um, and then they, they buy like cup, like big companies. So they, they'll buy like, and when I say big, I don't mean like they'll buy companies that are, 180 200 employees and then they'll like hire a ceo to run the companies like oh wow yeah and so um i've I've been fascinated because again for the work that i do uh i think collaborations with companies like yours and then probably probably more companies that are buying companies that are a little bit bigger in scale um i think it's i think it's worth and this is something i throw out to you we don't have to talk about it right at this moment but i think it is worth um, and the idea really came from when I was listening to the podcast with Tiny Capital. They were saying they were about to make a partnership with a company like mine because what they were realizing is when they were getting in there, 
the change management, the leadership, the culture, the dif- di- the different dynamics of what that looks like, mm. changing hands. Um, the, the, the balls were dropping. And so they were like, what would it look like to form a partnership where someone from the outside can come in and really kind of make this process uh, not only seamless, but really operationalize the employee experience to keep everyone happy, keep everyone productive and keep the people part of the business running productively as they do some of the things that you guys do, which is the operations, the marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, uh, well, yeah. let me, can I throw you, I'm going to throw you and get your input here. Please. Um, if you're good with it. Okay. So let me paint a picture of like, uh, one of the companies and then you kind of give me an idea of like, how would you go about, yeah. you know, tackling some of these issues, identifying more issues, stuff like that. This is a great podcast so far. <laughs> I'm loving it. So it's great. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's call them business X. Okay. So yeah. business X, um, business X has two owners before the tactics group came in. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. They're 50, 50 owners. All right. Um, what we learned is that there's a lot of, let's call it tension or energy between the two founders. Okay. Okay. Um, and one of the, the partners, what I've learned is kind of disengaged, um, and doesn't do as much. And what I'm interpreting as to why he's doing that um, is because he just, it feels like the other person comes in like a wrecking ball and just like tears into projects, you know, isn't really great at leading people. So I think mm-hmm. he just kind of stays silent because this other guy over here is just um, a lot. Uh, and so, so that's, that's one guy he's kind of passive, but we're, the, our group is kind of thinking, all right, he's got more to offer, but I think that he just kind of is, um, trying to avoid a little bit of conflict right now because he's just as tired of uh, having to deal with this guy at this time. And then there's that guy. And then there's the other founder, the one who's kind of causing some attention. He's frustrated. He feels that um, he can't uh, – the company doesn't move fast enough. He feels like the employees are the problem. Um, he also feels like um, he's just overwhelmed. He's working so much. He's the only one who can solve any issues. Um, he's pulled a thousand different directions. He would say, if we just had the right team, then we could figure it out. Um, he would also say, if we could just pay people to stick around more, uh, that oh, yeah. would, that would, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm already biting at the bit. Cause like, go ahead. I'm listening. I know. And I, I think I know what you're going to say. Cause I'm, we're going to have a, Anyway, all right, so th- there's that. Okay, so I want to paint that picture for you, right? There's these two owners. There's this yeah. one right here that's, um, I don't know, has the opposite of extreme ownership, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. It's all our employees' problems. We just need new people. We just need to reset, okay? There's that guy. And then there's the first one I mentioned, which is he's kind of disengaged. He's not doing a whole lot. But because he's not doing a whole lot and he's disengaged, that's also building resentment from the other guy who's kind of like, why doesn't this other guy? I'm losing my mind over here, and this guy's just doing nothing. Okay, so it's those two. Mm-hmm. And then the last little context bit I'll talk to you about um, is I just got off a call, you know, within the last couple of days. And I talked to two team members and I was not, you know, fishing, but I was just trying to get understand. Hey, help me understand. What's it like? You know, what's the culture here? Um, they said, hey, it's really hard to get a hold of anybody. I don't know who I directly report to. Um, I don't get any personal development. 
Um, I'm not sure if the company is willing to pay for me to get personal development. I don't know what I have to pay for. Do I have to pay for my like keyboard? Do I ask them to pay for it? Um, <laughs> uh, it takes us, we, we don't, if we start an initiative, we don't hear back from either of them if we're allowed to like actually go ahead and move forward with the initiative. So where would you even begin? Where would you? <laughs> can I can I be on the record? And this is recorded. So can I be on the record to say that for no charge, I promise I'm not a guy that would bullshit you. Um, I love this stuff. <laughs> um, I would love, uh, obviously, there's no way you can make an objective decision right this moment. But I would love yeah. to uh, to get in the weeds in this scenario here. I promise you no charge, no anything. Okay. I love these scenarios. So please, we'll talk about this off off air here. But, That's great. Um, um, but a couple, couple thoughts, cause I love problems like this. So there's a couple of things. Okay. Um, one thing that I always look for companies, people, leaders to un- understand is there needs to be a level of gratefulness that you have when mm. employees are spending time making your dreams come true. So that theoretical high level, mushy, gushy perspective needs to be understood, right? right. Like we all as business owners need to come to that realization, like, uh, I was a former football player. I'm as tough as it gets, but there's a there's a certain uh, there's a certain there's a certain beauty with that practicality that I think more leaders need to understand and get away from so so much of the structured, objective kind of technical things and live into that empathy, right? So that's okay. number one, uh, and that needs to be clear. So that now, how you get that across to the two founders. I, I would have to get more context and get into the weeds and really understand probably how to communicate with them. I call that scenario like emotional glue. Like I would have to understand mm. each person's style, their energy. Uh, I would probably need to know like certain like sports or music or like other references that I would throw in there to kind of make things a little bit more calm. Like I would need to like get in there and like massage them a bit and make this a little bit less of a tension type of conversation but inevitably, at the end of the conversation, I would need them to understand that reality. So that's number one. So that's, okay. so that's the first step you guys need to do. The first thing you guys need to do is, the, at the end of the day, this little thing that they're creating would not be here if these 20, 15, 10, 8, 75 people weren't here. Right. So you guys need to communicate that in the way that you guys feel is best. Okay. Um, the so second thing I would do is I would audit the employee. So what you did was great. I will continue down that path. Um, without just give me a range. Cause if anyone listens, I don't want to put you in a tough spot. Is it from five to 30 employees? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the exact number. I'm pretty sure it's cool. Like right at 20. Okay. So, so if it's right at 20, then this probably would take you no longer than a week. Okay. If I were you, I would send one of you guys. And again, I am more than happy again to do this. If there's a possibility, I would do an audit. So I would do a one-on-one meeting with every single employee for at least 30 minutes. And I would, I would, I would create a safe, safe space. I would have, a, I would have an air table. What do you guys use to track information? Uh, it depends on the, on the thing, but some most, mostly Google sheets um, or Asana or Basecamp. So perfect. Oh, Basecamp. I love that too. Okay. Um, so I would have the Basecamp or the Asana available and uh, if you're good at multitasking, I would do that. Maybe both two of your partners, so maybe you and another partner tackle it together. One person really don't say anything. The other person runs the conversation. And I would just have a thoughtful, laid back, you know, kind of homie to homie relationship. Just try to understand 
what they've been experiencing thus far, why hmm. they wanted to join the company, what they've been experiencing thus far, make it a safe place. Like, don't be afraid to not ask very direct questions. Clarity is key. Now, you don't want to get into a shit-talking battle. You don't want to get right. into a moment where they can start bad-mouthing people, but they're going to follow your lead. So if you're being very transparent and very clear around what you're looking to pull out of it, they're going to follow your lead. Because what you need to pull out of this is what the hell is actually happening? Yes. Employees are not going to lie to you, right? That's one thing that I dis- that people tell me they disagree with me, and I disagree with them every day of the week. Employees are not going to lie for the most part. Yeah. They're going to tell you the reality because at the end of the day, if they're working at this company, they want this to work. Now, their points of views may be skewed a bit, but it is your job as a human, as an adult, to pull out the silver lining. There is silver lining truth in something they're saying. Now, what I see a lot of leaders make the mistake of is they ignore everything an employee says and think, oh, they're just bullshitting, they're over-exaggerating. They may be exaggerating a bit, but is there any silver lining there? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to pull out what, what they feel about the leaders. You got to pull out why they joined the company. You got to pull out where they want to go in their careers. They got to pull out what type of learning and development they're actually looking for. Just have a nice, genuine, homie-to-homie, real conversation with them around those types of things. Um, and then, tr- But track all that data. So get it all recorded. And then from there, what I would do is I would go back to, to the leaders of the company and I would make an objective conversation happen, not pinning them against their employees, not pinning them against what they have or have not done in the past. Objectively, right now, in the moment, October 22nd of you know, um, mm-hmm. 2020, this is what the employees of this company are looking for. This is what we have you know, understood has been happening up until this point. Moving forward, what do you think is going to be the best option? What do you need, owner A? What do you need, owner B? What are you guys feeling together is not working, is working? And I will go through the mixture of relationship patching between the founders and objectively looking at the data of what the employees need. Because at the end of the day, if for whatever reason, all, let's say, 80% of those employees were to quit, what do you think would happen to that business? Oh, incredible. And not only that, but even if they're staying in their current role and they're not engaged, yep. it, it, it's a lose-lose, right? Let's say they're only working 50% of the time or they don't have clarity or they don't love their job. Like, that's almost exactly. as bad, you know? And then the last thing, and then we can move on. Last thing that I would do, because that, that, that thing I just told you to do, so that third step, that's a very cumbersome, hairy step, hey, right? Very hairy. <laughs> right? Because that's... Now, now, also what I would do is I would not be afraid of the option of buying someone out. Okay. And that's a whole nother conversation as well. So, you know, and that's a gut call. Have you guys have full control of this company? Um, I'm, I have to look at the paperwork, but it's, yeah, we have, we did. Yes-ish. And maybe that's too yes-ish. much information. No, there's, okay. it's yes-ish because I think that there are certain things that we have to get group approval for. And it's not, it's not, it just is protecting everybody. So, but yeah, we I guess operations control. I've done this in the past. I've objectively asked, you know, leaders like, you know, like, and this is where it gets a little hairy, but okay. if you do a good job of building, again, what I call emotional glue and making them feel safe in the beginning, mm-hmm. then they won't take this feedback that I'm about to give to heart. Like, this is based off the data that we've collected, everything that we've heard thus far, this is what we think from our experience and our background, what is needed. 
do you think you're the type of leader that can take it to that point? If you're not, right? Because from what I'm hearing, if I'm hearing you correctly, there are going to be some, they're going to be still involved operating. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. So do you feel you're the type of leader to move the company into this direction based off of the audit that we've done with the employees? This is what they're looking for. That's objective. That's not a subjective thing. Mm. Leaders need to understand that's not a subjective thing. Whether you agree with it or not, that is the reality. Now, if you're ready to scrap them all and restart from fresh, then that's how you can make that a subjective thing. But it's not subjective anymore. That is objectively what they're looking for. Are you the type of leader to meet them where they are? Huh. And, if you're, and if you're not, then that's another conversation we can have. Do I need to buy you out? Do we need to put in a CEO in place? What do we need to do to make that work? Because we have 20 people here that are ready and willing to work, but are not happy. Hmm. That's objective. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking in my head, I'm like, I can't wait to share this recording with uh, um, my two business partners, the ones that are, you know, the Tactos team. The last, the last bit of tip, the last bit of tip. Okay. The very last thing I would do. So let's say that goes beautifully. Let's say the guy that's been freaking out saying, I need more from the team. Da, 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 da. Let's say the guy, let's say he comes down and they like, you know what? I hear you guys. Here's a new plan for it. I think I'm the good leader. I think I can figure it out. Let's say the other guy feels a little bit more comfortable and he actually, you know, puffs up his chest a bit and he starts speaking up for himself and he says how he feels and that gets great and everything's perfect. Everyone's ready to go, right? All right. Then you go back to the data of the employees, right? Okay. And say, okay. What learning and development processes and tools do we need to put in place? What mentorship processes do we need to put in place? What career mapping decisions can we put in place? What support can we put in place that is operational, that is consistent, that is predictable, that these, that these individuals can, 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 can count on us for, right? Not just what, what are some nice things that we can say moving forward. What are some operational things that we can do? to change how they are experiencing their work in this company at a macro and a micro. So whether that's, do we need to adjust and look into the workflows? Do we need to adjust and look into how decisions are made in this company? Do we need to adjust and look into the career mapping path? Do we even have a career mapping path and a plan for everyone here? Are, you know, based off, of the, based off of the opportunities of the, of the business growing, are we planning on growing up to 40, 50, 60 employees? Do we inevitably maybe need some managers here? Are there any ideas that, you know, employees have to make this business work even better that we need to live into? How are we funneling through that information? Like, it's a very operational discussion. Yeah. That's what people get twisted about culture. It's not just something on a wall. You see, these are very operational decisions that you make that will impact the culture that you inevitably will have. Hmm. Uh, so all that, that, all that stuff probably takes, I don't know, a month or two. Yeah. Um, but I believe that would be the plan I would do. Mm. Okay. How uh, did that sit? Like, was that crazy or? No, no, no. Well, here's the thing is I, I, the first two bits, I felt pretty good. I was like, all right, I'm doing pretty good over here. I like asked those questions. I had the emotional glue. I'm pretty good. Um, and I think we're, and that's not to say that I'm, yeah, I got, I think, all of that sounds like great. That sounds great. My head goes to, all right, who's going to be please. the, who's going to be the one to talk to these two guys and sit them down. You know what I mean? Um, 
Because I don't know that I, I'm really good at, uh, you know, kind of doing that, uh, whatever. I don't have to go into that. I don't know that I'm the best at being direct and caring in that moment. So that sticky situation, I think I would hurt somebody's feelings. Like when we talk to the two other owners, I don't think that I should be the guy. Because I think I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come across, uh, I think, how I want to. So um, who, who, who does the greatest job at blending empathy and candor? I think what in my head I see is a great opportunity is for Ian to take the lead on that. And I do a great job of like adjusting the temperature in the room when I'm not the main one. So if like we just had like an all staff meeting with this team um, and, you know, Ian led most of the meeting, but then I would interject and add comments and say, Hey guys, here's why we care about you. Blah, 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 all so I know I just kind of, I'm not, contra- I'm not trying to contradict myself and say I'm not necessarily caring, but I'm, I'm more happy to do that caring and pay attention to how people are feeling in the room when I'm not the one trying to disseminate the hard information, if that makes sense. Because um, I La- – go ahead. No, no, no. La- la- last question, and then we'll, and then we'll, I- we'll move on here because this is turning into a different thing that I'm happy, though, because I'm, I'm bringing value to you, and then I'm happy. Um, yeah. What um, – for you personally – and I'm, and I'm actually asking this now kind of as part of the interview for me to kind of get some context for you personally and then for how your partners view life, right? Because one thing about me that I want to make clear on the record for anyone that have ever listened to this, I'm a hybrid. I very much am an operator and I respect business of business of business and margins and doing what's right by the brand and looking at the brand like it's like its, its own baby and it's, it's its own thing as well. But I'm also, I also have enough practicality and, and awareness. And through my first, remember I told you about this when I first met you, through my first experience, you know, I lost a seven-figure business mm. because I didn't do these things. Right. Like, gone. Like, no longer in existence. Um, you know, moved from where I was to a two-bedroom apartment with my, you know, like, drastic change. That, that I-8 is not here anymore. I know. I was about to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so um, when I said the objective data that you get from your employees yeah. that needs to be looked at and understood as objective and and uh and you know their perspectives and their opinions on what they need need to be objective and you know the reality of this business there needs to be a certain level of gratefulness mm-hmm. that they are here What's your first instinct and what do you think your partner's first instincts and reaction? And more importantly, what do you think the reactions of those other two guys are going to be if you were to share this recording or say that to them directly? So my two partners will go, yes, 100% agree with you. Um, Not sure how we're going to address it. That's what my two tactics partners would say. They would say, yep, all right, picking up on that. We got to have a card conversation with him. Um, And maybe that's not even the right way we should be thinking about it, but that's what we think. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like, Hey, something going on here. Like we need to, uh, we need to kind of address this, um, in some way. So there's that. I don't, I don't know these other two partners well enough yet, um, to really understand how they would react. I, I do think based off the data that I have that that victim mindset would come up again. Um, so I don't know that it would be like, well, you know, if we just had more money, if we just, um, if we just mm. had the right people, uh, it's really the people's fault. They're not good at this. Um, so that's my inclination as to where he might go. Um, and you guys are going to do your due diligence from that lens. Don't, and don't get it twisted here. 
I used to get big fights with my CEO uh, just seven months ago when I was an employee. He was like, oh, you're always going to side with the employees. No, I'm not. If they suck at what they do, I will go, I, I will, I will spend seven hours at dinner looking through my network, trying to find them an opportunity that fits more of their flow right. and what they actually have. That's the E, that's the E1 part. Don't forget about the B2 in there too. Like, yeah. They doesn't doesn't mean they got to be the right person for my company. I want them to win in life overall. Yeah. So um, don't forget to. And I already know you're going to do this. Like there may be some validity of what he's talking about as well. Like totally objective. Objectively, you need to audit the skill sets, and that's where it comes into like. And, and, and we're kind of getting more into the weeds, so I'll make this final statement. That's where it gets into like, okay, you know, how are you tracking performance? Are you guys having, you know, do you guys have like, uh, you know, more objective operational learning and development structures in place to improve employees? Do you have IDP plans in place? You know, what, how are they tracked? How are they measured? You know, one thing that I heard from the employees, though, is they don't talk to the leaders enough. It's a small company, so they probably don't have management. It's probably the 20 employees and then and the, the two, two leaders. owners. Yeah. Yeah. So who's managing them who's who's who you know companies always think you hire an employee and they're just magically gonna like be amazing forever I they need know. to get de- developed and, and, uh, and grow as well oh, that's crazy so all right uh, that's my advice okay um, great i'll take it and then um all right a couple more things here because we went on a little tangent here uh uh how should how should small businesses think about marketing? Just give me give me uh let, maybe let's do a little bit of a rapid fire for maybe let's let's take this another ten minutes so okay. maybe spend two minutes on each how how should companies think about marketing from your lens? Okay, small businesses, startups. I don't think that they should think about getting the word out. That's what most people come to us. They say, "Oh, we need to get the word about our company. We need to shout our stuff from the rooftops, whatever." I've heard that language many times. Um, it's not about that. It's about helping people understand what problem you solve and how you can make their life better. That's it. And you need to come in there as the guide. So you need to stop being the hero of your own marketing. And you need to play the role of a guide. And then that's what you should position yourself as. But then the actual tactical bits of marketing, I would think of marketing in three phases. I would oversimplify it. I would say it's brand awareness, it's consideration, and it's conversion. And just see it as the first problem that you're trying to solve is make them aware that you exist. The second problem that you're trying to solve is that they're aware that you exist. They're just not sure that they want to work with you. So that's reminding them that you exist, you know, putting retargeting ads, showing the ads later that they've, after they've gone on your website, all that stuff. Um, that's also reinforcing the value you bring. And then lastly is conversion, is making it as easy as possible for people to buy your products and services. So that means productizing services, if you have services, um, reducing all friction, and then also additionally um, making it easy to understand what it is you offer. Let's make this super valuable for a small company or startup listening to this. Let's say they can't hire you, right? For whatever mm-hmm. reason, I don't know what I don't know what your uh, sure. I don't I don't know what that is, but yeah. let's say they can't hire you. Um, break down five specs of a job description or someone that would be able to do these three phases. What type of person should they be hiring? Because what you and I both know they do typically, right? Is uh you know their niece that just graduated from NYU or whatever the case is, or um you know yeah some guy that spends all his time you know I don't want to be inappropriate but it's my pop I can say what I want it's all good 
you know, some guy that spends all his time looking at Instagram models and all this crap on Instagram, yeah. and Snapchat and Twitter, because he knows the flow of the algorithm and he knows how content is and because of these girls and all this crap that he's looking at, but there's, you know, he doesn't really actually know what he's talking about, but he thinks he does. Oh, okay. You know, the social media thing, go in there and do it. So, um, what would be five, like, like if you could break it down, like five things you would want to see in someone's background, if you're, if you're getting a resume Mm -hmm. slid across your desk, or if you're putting out, you know, um, a, uh, a search, what, what, what would that, what would it be? The hardest person to find and the person that you should hire um, or contract, whatever your first priority, should be a marketing strategist. So it shouldn't be a, like an actual um, technician that's, per se. That's interesting that you say that. Yeah. So, and this is my opinion. So I, I would say that you should hire a strategist. In, in minimum, someone to build you a strategy on what to execute because most business owners that's so interesting. They think that, okay, I need to, um, I need to be doing social media marketing. I need to be doing SEO. I need to you know, have a new logo, whatever. Um, when in reality, you're just throwing money on the wall and hoping something, something sticks. What you need is somebody who has experience on growing companies and you need them to build you a strategy that's actually going to work. Because then from there, if you wanted to, you could outsource all the other options. And there's, there's companies that we work with where like, I personally will build the strategy, a high-level growth strategy, and then they might work with the team in the Philippines to execute some of that. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that the strategy is the most important um, thing I would look for. I, and there's, there's kind of two camps that, like we mentioned, there's the direct marketing and then there's the, the branding. And I often see that there's a math and a strategy. And I, I originally heard this from Gary Vee, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how long ago, but um, yeah, I mean, people generally have one of two giftings if they're in marketing. They're either really good at aesthetics, overall look and feel, or they're really good at the strategy and the math side. Um, I would hire the first hire as a math and strategy person. Um, and then, you know, if they have the other gifts, that's that's great. But you mentioned kind of five. So I'm a strategist. Um, and then somebody who's a learner, because as you know, marketing is always changing, which is fortunate and unfortunate in many ways. Uh, so you have to be willing to always learn and do that. Um, and then past that, I mean, I would have them familiar with the story brand framework. Um, it's the messaging framework that we like to use. I kind of mentioned it about being the story of the guide. So I would look at all the story brand business made simple university stuff. They don't have to be young, um, but I think that they should be familiar with um, modern marketing. So there's the old school print, billboards, all that stuff. Once you get to a certain size, I think that's appropriate because you're doing brand marketing. You're not necessarily doing direct marketing, but for small companies, they need sales. Sales is the lifeblood of a company. So I think that it's really important that you have somebody who understands how to track sales and has experience in being able to say, all right, this person saw this ad went onto our website, downloaded this PDF, and then signed up for a call with our sales team and then bought that, uh, you know, whatever package. So, And you may disagree with this. And if you don't even have the money to bring in one person and do that, let alone hire my guy here, I think you should consider, whether it's a CEO, an internal, someone in the company should consider, and I think, I'm hoping you would agree, executing a lot of collaborations and partnerships that can get you in places from a branding and awareness standpoint that you wouldn't expect. You know, that looks like, 
high level things like you know content you know that looks like content marketing collaborations potentially that are very little cost that could look like uh that I'm a big fan of going I know you you know I know this is very long tail and these companies need some immediate turnaround but that could look like going on other people's podcasts it could look like speaking that could look like a lot of different things and then you know directly like actually let me lean into you with this one okay directly direct like I make this partnership I get money in a three-week period of time after making that partnership, what would that look like? Give me uh, with some of these e-commerce e-commerce businesses. What would a strategic direct partnership where they're making a partnership with someone because that someone has access to the clientele they want to get access to? Thus, the partnership was made, and they have direct income coming from that relationship within a three to four-week period of time. Are there any? type of thinkings around partnership design that that would allude to that yeah and i guess i would i would be interested to hear your opinion on like and this is my two cents here and you again you can just grid me here too i like that idea but i like that idea on the principle of that could be free ish so like building these relationships collaborating um saying hey maybe you're going to get 30 percent commission on whatever we close or something like that or we're going to you know, share audiences here. I love that idea because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to pay each other money to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes um, it's a little bit more tedious, but I, it's free. You know what I mean? So like, it's free. That's what I, I, I love it from that perspective. What I don't love on a brand partnership level is uh, paying influencers right now. Um, I, Gary Vee talks about it a lot. And I mean, he's been on that train for a long time. I have just seen so many, not only, not only have we managed influencer relationships, but like we've partnered with other agencies who are influencer marketing agencies. Like that's what they do. And yes. I, there was like no sales from it, I, like almost nothing. And the only benefit was the user generated content, which was beautiful content for the record. But it just was, I felt so bad. You know, they're spending, the small business is spending $7,000 a month on these influencers and uh, agency and they're seeing no sales um, and I, I like trackable coupon codes, anything, um, nothing. And so that kind of, I was like, I don't know about that. So, you know, what the problem is, and you probably know more about this than I do, but you know, being, you know, being an executive and being someone that I think in order for me to be a hybrid and be sharp, I need to kind of know about a little bit of everything. Um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all these platforms, algorithms are just screwed right now. And so and that's one thing that these these that these influencers can't stop is the algorithm. Now the stories and the swipe up functions are getting a you know, there there's still some flexibility there and it's still pretty decent as far as organic reach and that nature. And then also what I'm seeing as an issue is a lot of these influencers that they're picking from these agencies, these agencies don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. These agencies are picking any and all influencers that have any sort of clout and getting them opportunities. They're not worrying about the bottom line and the objective results mm-hmm. of the clients that inevitably are working with these influencers. They're worrying about the influencers having success. And so um, I think if anything, it would be a matter of kind of doing your due diligence and finding an influencer by yourself and doing yeah. a few test runs and having that influencer bank on themselves. And doing a profit sharing, so that's one thing I, I like the profit sharing. 
I like the profit share. I've, I've done that. Yeah, I've, I've advised because someone's like, hey, I know you did a partnership consultancy. I was like, all right, I'll do some advising work. I advise them to do a part a profit sharing split. Yeah. Like if you think you're that great of an influencer, oh, yeah. then do, then do this then. I would typically give you 7,000 to do a, a a run with me for 3 months. You know, we have a product that costs 199. Sell 1,000 units. Yeah. And you'll get and I'll give you 40%. Yeah. I mean, right? It's it's going to it's going to end up being more than that 7,000. Yeah. I agree. And I, um, I like that because even if you had to break even, like, let's say you're net operating, like you have your cost of goods sold and then you just yep. like whatever your percentage wise is for your actual like total expenses, just whatever you can afford, just break even on it. Like don't even make any money. Yep. Just see if you can get that additional brand exposure um, and just see if that works. You know, that would be interesting. That's what I was going to say. The brand exposure would be valuable as well. Cause now, those units, that product is in people's hands. Maybe you didn't make a profit on it, but now you never know what they're saying to cousins, aunts, uncles, other people that they know. Yep. And now that's where the uh, word of mouth starts. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Um, all right. Last question. <clears throat> last, last question. Um, you know, to a certain degree, what I am doing. The E1B2 Collective is, I'm just going to give you a, a runway here and then I'm going to let you take it off here. Um, the E1B2 Collective is a simple model, kind of. Um, the goal is to inevitably, think of it like a holding company. The goal is to inevitably have 20, 30, 40, 50 companies that I build over the next 10 years. All of those companies are, are built to improve the world of work. For example, there's a company called Beyond Brand Studios. That's a podcast producing function that plays in the employer branding and recruiting space. There's Startup EX, which I was alluding to with you, where we go in white glove and do some of the work that we kind of just did ad hoc here, but at a much more white glove level, since there's no typically in small businesses and startups, there's no internal HR person that's strategic mm -hmm. between 50 to 200 employees. And so we want to be that for a period of time until you find that person. Um, there's a speaking series called Project 2030 that's actually turning into a boot camp. So if you are if you are a HR student and you want to become a future head of people, or if you're HR generalist and you want to become a head of people, I want you to learn a little bit more about what it looks like strategically to help executives make decisions, to look at decision-making models, to understand the frameworks, methodologies, career mapping, um, putting employees first. There's a, you know, neural, neural leadership, you know, organizational psychology. There are things that you're just not doing as an HR generalist, doing a traditional onboarding process and doing HR compliance. And we want to help you guys, you know, move on to be a future head of people. So those are the three functions right now. Um, that's the business. That's the business model. Those are the current businesses right now. Um, and we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to do great things. There's going to be more businesses that come along. Um, what advice would you give me right this moment on? So the way I build businesses, I build businesses all through collaborations and partnerships. Outside of my podcast and my speaking, no one hears from me. Mm -hmm. So my podcast, some ad hoc posts on LinkedIn every now and again, and my speaking and my, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of guest blogging. I have a lot of PR traditional kind of stuff out there. I do a lot of collaboration behind the scenes, getting me direct access to the people that I want to work with. Um, so I, I, I really like the predictability of that route. I just, all I know, 
what advice would you give me? Give me a three minute kind of, you know, ad hoc advising uh, if you have any, because I know this is a little bit of a different business model <laughs> than you probably typically work with. Um, mm. Give me some advice. Okay, so what should I do? I, first off, my advice would have been to do partnerships. Um, I started Caffeine myself. It's just me. Um, and then that's why I so much love Tactos as well is because it's just completely different when you have partners. I mean, it's, it's not to say that caffeine's not fun. I love caffeine, but it's almost more fun to have partners. So I'm glad you're already doing that. Um, yep. The two things that come to mind or it's like, where's your D-Rock, bro? Like, where's the guy following you around, the gal following you around the camera all day? You know what I mean? I know, dude. I've been thinking about that. Just do it, bro. It fake me later. And I, I mean, yeah, you need to do oh, it. shit, man. You're so right, man. Because I have so many meetings. I do so much stuff. I have so much content that can be created. Yep. Yep. All right. Go get your, go get your D-Rock. Um, that's fair. That's fair. And then the last thing that I would say to you is do not be that's afraid of paid advertising. Um, you're going to get more bang for your buck than anywhere else, even more than you're going to get with the organic, um, with hiring your own D rock. Like it, it is so much fun. It is the easiest. It's, it's why it's so easy to scale and grow a business today. It is the easiest. I will say it is the easiest time to create or scale or grow a business in history. End of story. Because you're not. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I think that because you can predictably scale a company and you can say every dollar that I spend, I know I'm getting X number of dollars back. Um, so I highly suggest becoming familiar with that and at least creating some strategies around paid marketing because it is so much fun when you start making so much money with paid, paid advertising. See, I thought about that, but see what I do. So the paid advertising would have to be like, and this is probably naive of me because they're probably there maybe on, like, I guess like, what, what, what functions would you say, or what, what area would you say LinkedIn and Facebook? Cause LinkedIn ads are expensive. No. Yes. And. And by the way, I'm, you're quoting Gary Vee. I know you are, because I hear, I hear him say that. Um, yes, and. But like, yes, LinkedIn is expensive, but... I'm just going off of what I know. So that's, why, that's the only bit of advice that I've been getting is like, LinkedIn ads are expensive. They are. But, but they, dude, when you hit them, you hit them hard. And I, like you, if you know the margin in your services and you can say, all right, I've got X number of thousands of dollars in my, in my services... You can reasonably acquire new clients like cost per acquisition on LinkedIn for less than two hundred dollars, um, and maybe even three hundred. Um, so it's it's expensive, but if you look at like impressions in contrast to Facebook, yes, it's really expensive. If you look at cost per click, yes, it's really expensive. Sometimes three times more expensive, and the average cost per acquisition on Facebook is like thirty bucks for the e-commerce world. I don't. It's probably really high on LinkedIn, um, but you can talk specifically to who you want to talk to on LinkedIn ads, like find that title, that person yeah. um, size yeah. company. And it is, dude, it's so good when you hit it. Like it's. So you, so you would advise just from a content perspective, right? So it's one thing to, you know, probably hire someone like you or try to do it yourself yeah. to actually run and place the ad. It's another thing to actually create the content, right? Because back to Gary Vee, right? The content's always the variable. And it is, right? Yeah. The content has to land. Um, so sometimes not. Sometimes the content can be shitty. But yeah. um, the content in this particular situation, and I'll just throw an idea out. 
So are you saying something like a clip from like, like if I were having a D-Rock record me right now, a clip of me breaking down some advice that I just gave you or a clip from my podcast um, edited with some night with, with some nice kind of like uh, sound uh, sound signals in the background with, with the logo. Like, what would you propose as a as a piece of content that would, would that would go? Okay, so here's if we're okay, uh, we're hypothetically we're working together. Okay, all right. So here's Evan's suggestion as your formal CMO. I would tell you that you need to first um, have LinkedIn as your paid advertising. And think of that as top of the funnel. We're going to do Facebook ads for top of the funnel. We're going to do LinkedIn ads for top of the funnel. And we're going to target specifically who you want. So on LinkedIn, we're going to go job titles, type company, whatever. We're going to find those people. We're going to show them ads. Then we're going to show them retargeting ads on Facebook. And then additionally, when we start having the right amount of traffic, we've got over a thousand people who are qualified people on your website. We create what's called a lookalike audience on Facebook so that we're not victim to just LinkedIn. So we can scale on both platforms once we have enough data to not just run retargeting ads on Facebook. Now, what I would see your social media as, as that consideration phase. So brand awareness, we're solving that problem primarily through I'm making people aware, aware that you exist on LinkedIn ads and as well as Facebook ads once we have enough data. In the consideration phase, we're showing them retargeting ads on Facebook, maybe also YouTube. Um, and then what you're doing is your social media functions as the consideration phase. Once they're aware that you exist, they may not be ready to buy your product or service, but they follow you on social media and they start looking at your content. They sign up for your newsletter. They start reading your blogs, all of that stuff. So I would see the DRock mainly as not acquiring new audiences, but nurturing people who become aware that you exist so that when they're ready to Because you're buy, making the content. Yep. Um, so the first ads are, a, I personally like to do a direct call to action in the ads because that's going to qualify the type of person that I want to follow me. So if you know, you've got your target audience, you would rather have a thousand people that are qualified people that could buy from you to follow you versus 10,000 of just randos who just think you're cool and think you're like a cool motivational speaker. So I would personally suggest, Hey, let's go hard with an offer. And they go, oh, I don't know if I'm interested in the offer yet, but that does apply to me. So sure. They check you out. Once they check you out, they follow you. And then you keep nurturing that relationship with them with that content. And then the call to action would lead to either it, it would lead to a phone call with us, an email newsletter, whatever, wherever we want to place them. That's another conversation. Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. That's interesting, man. I, at, at some point, I'm gonna. That's interesting. That's interesting. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep talking. All right. That's interesting. Sounds good. Um. All right, man. This was helpful. I helped you a little bit. You helped me a bit. Um. I think this is a great conversation. Any, any last parting words, any plugs you want to throw in there or anything you want to talk about? Um, no, I think maybe the last thought I will leave everybody with um, is just focus on what matters a hundred years from now. Um, I love business. I tell my partners all the time. It's a game that we get to play. It's not like it, we, this should never become our everything. Our identity and everything else shouldn't be wrapped up in this. Our, our, our day shouldn't be made or broken, broken by a proposal going through or not going through like this stuff, that fair. stuff does not matter a hundred years from now. What in the answer to what does, I think depends on the person. But to me, that's like my faith and my family. Like that's the stuff that I really care about a hundred years from now. I love that, man. I appreciate this. I can't wait to edit this up and send it over to you. If you'd be so kind to share it, I would appreciate Absolutely. that. 
and then um and then we'll keep talking uh and and then we'll connect i appreciate